I don't know whether it was just one rock bottom. I think drinking in the morning is a, you know, then, you know, when you do those quizzes online, I'm an alcoholic. If there are a couple that you don't tick, you think, oh, well, then I'm all right. I'm actually not an alcoholic. I got to the point where I was ticking every single one. I was thinking, actually, you know what? This is, I cannot pretend any longer. And I knew that I was so ill that there was, there was a, a likelihood that my daughter might find me dead. And I think that was, that for me was a rock bottom. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 120. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. Many of those people we helped started their Tribe Sober journey with an alcohol-free challenge, which is a great way to check your dependence on alcohol. Our challenges are usually for one month or once a year, we offer our Sober Spring Challenge, which lasts for 66 days. That's long enough to build a new habit. If the thought of 66 days without booze makes you panic, then you may be pleased to know that we're setting up our shortest ever challenge. It's just five days without alcohol. From the 1st to the 5th of August, we're running a five-day sober sprint with daily tasks, Facebook live trainings every day, and podcasts as well, and lots of community support. The action is taking place on a pop-up Facebook group, and the group is active now. We've got 120 people on there, all getting to know each other as they prepare for the challenge. It's all absolutely free, so what's not to like? Just go to tribesober.com and you'll see the link to Sober Sprint. So come join the conversation. My podcast guest this week is Lindsay Beveridge, who I met seven years ago at a How to Quit Drinking workshop in London. We were both hungover and grumpy, so we didn't even speak to each other on that day. So it's been such a delight to meet her again out here in Soberland. Let me do a shout out to Club Soda, who ran that workshop, as Lindsay and I are both sober seven years later. Not only are we sober, but we both help people to quit drinking and then to go on and thrive in their sobriety. Lindsay qualified as a nutritionist in 2019 and helps people to implement changes to their diet and lifestyle so they can feel better. She uses a functional medicine approach to enable her clients to change their patterns of behavior. I began by asking Lindsay to introduce herself. I'm Lindsay Beveridge. My company is uh, Recovery Nutrition. 
so I live in Manchester in the UK and I started studying nutrition when I stopped drinking. You will probably know yourself when you stop drinking, you've got a lot of time on your hands. So I had all these empty evenings left, uh, but I was a single parent. My daughter was very young. Uh, she was about, she was eight when I stopped drinking. So in the evenings, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, start, I'll start studying nutrition because I, I was really interested in how it could help me become sober, how it could help the journey become easier. And then I just continued studying and and then qualified as a nutritional therapist four years after that and set up my practice. And now I help it's mainly middle-aged women who not necessarily struggle with addiction, but maybe dependency, alcohol dependency. Some, some women are addicted or I help people who are have got other damaging habits, whether it's around sugar or any other damaging behaviors, really. So huge amounts, you know, addicted to stress as well. That is another thing that crops up often as well. So I'll just help them with their behavior change and nutrition. Fantastic. Okay, well, let's dive a little bit into your drinking story, shall we, uh, Lindsay? When did, when did you have your first drink? I mean, I learned to drink in Manchester. <laughs> Where did you learn to drink? <laughs> I learned to drink in Johannesburg. My parents used to have lots of dinner parties. So I would have been, I, I do remember picking up the, the stompies after the dinner parties and, and lighting them and smoking the ends of those and finishing off all the drinks while we were clearing up. You know, we used to, try, we used to get up early to be able to do this after my parents had a party. So I reckon probably about maybe 12 I was starting then and then kind of more committed when I was from from about 14. I was quite a wild teenager. I'm not so much anymore, but in, in the past I was very shy. I had a lot of social anxiety and I found that the alcohol made things a lot easier. It felt the first time I got drunk, I thought, what an amazing feeling. This is just the best thing ever. Me too. I remember there. thinking it was like a magic potion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I have had lots of fun with it, but then in my... 20s it yes. started getting out of control I went through some fairly some big traumas as many people who live in South Africa do and then by the time I'd hit my kind of early 30s it, it was really really out of control and then I was then I went to AA for a short period got diagnosed with breast cancer started drinking again because I thought oh I don't know whether I can swear on your podcast I just thought fuck it and um and just started drinking and smoking all over again and did that in a very committed fashion again for the next few years but not as dangerous as before I wasn't having the same level of blackouts or anything like that and then I was okay when I had my child when I was pregnant and breastfeeding and all of that and then again the death of my mum breakdown of my relationship work was hugely stressful my drinking and I moved and I moved into a house on my own just me and my daughter so there were no no kind of restrictions so I just drank and drank and drank and drank uh, until I got to the point where I was very nearly dead and then I stopped that was when I was 47. 47 okay and did you have a rock bottom or, or you just knew for ages that you were going to have to do something? I don't know whether it was just one rock bottom I think drinking in the morning is a you know then you know when you do those quizzes online I'm an alcoholic if there are a couple that you don't tick, you think, oh, well, then I'm all right. I'm actually not an alcoholic. I got to the point where I was ticking every single one. I was thinking, actually, you know what? This is, I cannot pretend any longer. And I knew that I was so ill that there was, there was a, a likelihood that my daughter might find me dead. And I think that was, that for me was a rock bottom. 
I'd very much isolated myself at that point. Yeah, I think we do, don't we? When it gets gets really bad, our world gets so small, all we want is that next drink. So there you were at 47, knowing, you know, that you had to, to do something. So is that when you went to AA? No, I didn't go to AA then. I went to that workshop in London where I met you for the first time. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. So- we're both seven years sober, went to the same workshop. Eight years ago, it must be now. Um, So, yeah, and I had been following various people online, skirting around the issue, doing a bit of reading and all of that kind of thing. I knew that I had to do something about it, but I wanted to make sure because I had stopped drinking before and I'd I'd tried moderating, I'd given myself all of those rules that we do, and I knew I couldn't do it. I'd done loads of reading, and I wanted to make sure that I did it as well as I possibly could. I, I knew that I couldn't afford to relapse because I'd got to that point where I'd nearly died, that I felt that if I did relapse, that was just going to be the end of me. So I needed to do it properly. So that's where the nutrition, the studying nutrition came into it. So how how did you do it? I mean, you say you did, you say you did it properly. How, How did you stop drinking? How did you go from someone who was fairly seriously dependent to a non drinker? How did you make that change? I was, yeah, I was, uh, physically addicted so that's why I was drinking in the morning because I couldn't actually function without it and I was aware that we should have a medical detox if we are at that point but I was too scared to let anyone know that I was at that point because I was worried about my daughter being taken away from me so I knew I had to taper which is the hardest thing I've ever done I don't ever want to go that is enough to put put me off ever drinking again is to go through that tapering process so unbelievably hard especially if you're on your own and I was I didn't tell anyone what, what I was doing um so tapered and then stopped and but just made sure that I had lots and lots of decent food in the house I was running my own business at the time so you know it was okay for me to to rest whenever I needed to I, I prepared myself for what was coming up and I just took very very good care of myself Wow. Well, well done. I mean, that tapering thing, it, it's hard, you know, because... Um, I wouldn't, yeah. Did you know, I was interviewing a, a doctor the other day. I must tell you this, you probably know it anyway, but I was surprised to learn that only 10% of us kind of problem drinkers are actually physically addicted. So um, most of us, it's psychological. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, when I stopped, I didn't have any um, side effects at all. But um, I think, you know, from what you say, if you were drinking in the morning and, and stuff, you, you need to be uh, to be sensible and taper it. But it's really hard because a lot of people, it, it won't work for them because it's like the moderating thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I tried for 10 years to moderate because I couldn't imagine life without it. So I would think, right, I'm just going to drink a bottle and a half of wine a week, you know, starting this week. And of course, that would last till about Tuesday and then I'd run out. So for many people, that tapering, it, it it wouldn't be possible. So um, no. I must um, congratulate you on that. It's, it must show, it shows that you had a lot of uh, a lot of strength there. In retrospect, I would have done it differently. I would have asked for help. When we are yes. in, in that yes. position, our self esteem is so low. I didn't think I was worthy of help. I didn't think anyone would. I, I was so ashamed. But in retrospect, I should have asked for help. I should have spoken to my family and gone into a detox facility. You know, my, my business was doing well. I could have afforded to go into a rehab, but there was all that that concern around my daughter as well. But in retrospect, I would never do it like that again, and I wouldn't recommend that anyone does it. I think 
I think this is why it's so good that we are now more open about our journeys, that hopefully people, if yes. they are in this position, feel okay about asking for help. Yeah, I mean, it is the hardest step to accept that you have a problem and then reach out for help. But as you say, these days, I mean, when you think of the seven years that we've we've been sober, it's really changed. You know, there's so many online groups and there's so much help out there. And I think the stigma is is less than it used to be. But yeah, I mean, like you, I, I wouldn't recommend the tapering to, to anybody because I, I don't think many people could could do it. But um, the, the obvious thing to do, I think, if you if you're in that kind of way, is to um, go to rehab, you know, for a week, be supervised, and then connect with a community who will keep you on track when you come out. But um, you know, not everybody needs that detox. They don't need to go go to read no. we're all at different stages aren't we that's why i like to think of um alcoholism whatever you want to call it as a spectrum you know at one end there's the non-drinker the other end there's the homeless man in the park but there's millions of us in between and we, we tend to move up that spectrum don't we some of us that get to enjoy it just a little bit too much you did the tapering thing you went to the workshop you went to aa so gradually all these things kind of came together and unstuck for you yeah, I didn't go to AA. I went to a few meetings, but it was a single parent. I couldn't go in the evenings. So that was a problem. And the, and the, the only ones that were available to me were evening ones. So I didn't. I went to the odd meeting on a Friday or Saturday evening when my daughter was at her dad's. But with the social anxiety that I was still experiencing, which now I know had a lot to do with perimenopause as well, now that I know a lot more about our neurotransmitters, our GABA and progesterone and all of that, I know more what was going on but I really struggled in any any kind of group for me it was being at home doing lots of reading listening to podcasts uh, that's why what you're doing is so helpful but I just kept my head down and focused on getting well I did yoga ate well spent lots of lovely time with my daughter it was it was a very healing time I did a lot of resting yeah I was just reading one of your newsletters and you say um our bodies and brains are always trying to heal. I like that. It's like they're, they're trying to heal in spite of what we're doing to them. <laughs> Would you say that by listening to podcasts and by doing that reading, were you able to change your mindset about alcohol? Because I always think that if we keep seeing it as something that we miss, you know, we, we're living this deprived life without it, we'll never really thrive but we, we have to see it as the poison that it is, I think. And were you able to make that change? They Absolutely, absolutely. They were invaluable. Yeah. All of the stuff yeah. I read, Annie Grace, it sinks in eventually. And just noticing how much better I felt about myself as a, as a mother, that also kept me going as well. That, that was really important. Yeah. And over the months, as the benefits kind of gradually show up, it's proof, isn't it? And that makes it a little bit easier to keep going because you think, wow, I do actually feel quite a lot better. Yeah, I didn't have that pink cloud experience, unfortunately. I did. And uh, we talked to a neuroscientist about that. And she said that's because your brain has registered that, aha, you've got a project here, you've got something, something useful to do. So um, that's why we get that kind of high because our brain is focusing on it. And then 
once once our subconscious thinks, uh, oh, she's sober now, what next? If we haven't got something next, you know, like in your case, your nutritional studies, in my case, building tribe sober, if you haven't got anything, then you will fall a bit low, you know, your your mood will will plummet. Absolutely. It's all these all these things that keep our dopamine levels up. So learning new stuff yeah. increases our dopamine levels. Yeah. Exercise, doing voluntary work. I did everything. I did absolutely everything that I ever yeah. read that would help. I I did and found some of the th- some things that I loved along the way. We say to our new members, just throw the book at it, you know, do everything. And you know, some of it won't work, but you'll find your way, but you have to throw the book at it, don't you? And I think, you know, you have to really give it six months of putting your sobriety first, put yourself first, put this journey first. And after six months, you'll you'll be in a completely different place. But if you just kind of fiddle around with it, if you try a little bit here, a little bit there, and then you go back to drinking for a while, you'll just get stuck and you'll just be doing the hardest bit over and over again. And, you know, you and I both know those that first month is shit as we're having a sweary podcast. <laughs> For me, it was the first two years. I don't ever want to go through that again. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So if you look back over those seven years, and you've mentioned that two years were, were quite tough, how long did it take until you really would say that you were thriving in your alcohol-free life? I would say by the third year. So the, the first year was just was difficult because I, had, I was still so tired. It took me a long time. I was so nutritionally depleted. I'd stopped eating my, and my gut was in a complete mess. And all of that. So that all took a while to heal, and I was just tired. Uh, and I suppose also getting used to the, the sober lifestyle, changing friends, cha- well, not changing friends, a lot of my good friends stayed, changing the way that we do things. That was all exceptionally hard, as a lot of you will know. And then the second year was dealing with all the trauma that I had to then deal with, that I had that I'd been drinking away. So there was lots of stuff. So it was a lot of yeah. intense therapy that I went through that was just hard it was all it was hard 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 work and then I'd, I'd also started studying as well and running my business so that was a bit but it was the therapy that that was really hard with the sobriety it was just not being able to numb myself anymore and then by the third year that was yeah. all done and dusted it was great That'll be good for a lot of people to hear because, you know, I, I meet people that have been sober for a while and they go, well, I'm sober, you know, but I'm not really very happy. <laughs> and I just want to say, you know, hang in there, do the work, carry on doing the work and you'll find your passion, you know, and you'll get there. But it, it takes a while. Even though I, I think, you know, I certainly said to myself, because by the time I got into year two, I was running tribe sober. So, I think I, I certainly was believing my own propaganda <laughs> by, by that time and saying, oh, sobriety is wonderful. But it was only, you know, a bit like you when I got year three, year four, you know, I just felt like a different person. So let's get diving into all your expertise now. So let's talk about menopause and the effect that alcohol has on our hormones at midlife. Why is it not a great idea to be drinking through your menopause so many reasons. One of the main things is that 
alcohol is an endocrine disruptor. So it disrupts our entire endocrine system. It disrupts our sex hormones. So estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. It can make us be more estrogen dominant, which is we don't want that when we're going through, you know, our hormone levels will be fluctuating. We'll go through three times when we've got very high levels of estrogen and, and then very low levels of estrogen, but we don't want to be estrogen dominant. That is a, when a lot of us maybe start to develop breast cancer, like estrogen dominant breast cancers. It also throws out our thyroid as well. It affects our insulin levels. So it, it, all of our all of our hormones, uh, hunger hormones, everything, everything is interconnected. So alcohol disrupts absolutely all of those. And then what it also does is it affects our nutrient absorption. So things like folate, which is absolutely key, B12, all of the B vitamins actually, and then zinc and magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin A, every single nutrient, calcium as well. So all of the ones that we need for our bone health, so calcium, magnesium, Vitamin D, we all need for our bone health if we're not going to suffer from osteoporosis later on. Alcohol kind of leaches those from us. It, it affects the, the absorption, but it also, some of them, it, it actually increases the excretion of it. But with folate in particular, it, it blocks the action of folate. So there's lots of reasons in terms of the nutrients. Is, you know, we, there's no point in popping too many supplements if you're then going to be necking a bottle of wine every night, because that's just going to kind of cancel out the supplements that you're taking. So you're doing yourself a lot of damage in that way. And then it affects our gut health. And our gut health, our gut changes anyway as we go through the menopause because we've got estrogen receptors all along our gut. A lot of women find that they might start getting be getting constipated or they, there will be changes in bowel habits. And that is because of the changes in our hormones. And then because alcohol affects our gut lining and it affects our microbiome composition, that will then in turn affect all kinds of things because our gut is connected to everything. So our gut is connected to our brain, it's connected to our cardiovascular system, it's connected to our skin. And again, that is going to also affect how we detox our hormones. So estrogen, for example, if our, if we've got gut issues, we're not going to be clearing that estrogen properly. So if you're going on HRT, not such a good idea to be uh, drinking alcohol at the same time because it affects the clearance of it. So lots of things. I haven't even touched on cancer. Let's touch on cancer because you've had breast cancer. I've had breast cancer. I had breast cancer in 2006. At that time, I mean, I was still drinking my head off at that during those years. I had no idea there was any relation between um, heavy drinking and breast cancer. And to be fair to myself, I don't think there was a lot of evidence in the public domain at the time. Although now I think there is more. Just just tell us why um, we're more likely to to go through the breast cancer thing if we're drinking, please. Well, there, there are a few different mechanisms. So you've got the nutrient depletion that I've just talked about and especially folate that will impact on it's a process called methylation when we're not methylating well it affects our dna so our dna replication and repair so that is a cause of cancer so that's not only breast cancer then that is going to be any kind collectoral or whatever i'm not going to list all the different kinds of cancers you can get um, but then we've also got the impact that it has on our hormone clearance as well that I, that I briefly touched on when I talked about our gut health. So what happens when we aren't clearing it? Well, first of all, what alcohol does is it upregulates the conversion of testosterone into 
estrogen. So we get, we become estrogen dominant. Like I said, it's an endocrine disruptor, but then the other mechanism is it affects the actual clearance of estrogen through the liver. First of all, our liver won't be working optimally because it's trying so hard to get rid of that toxin alcohol. That is always going to be its priority because alcohol is so toxic. So the estrogen, we should be clearing it because it also becomes toxic once we've used it, but the liver is going to kind of focus on getting rid of the alcohol first. So that estrogen is hanging around for longer than we want it to be. And then in the gut, if we've got gut dysbiosis, and this was a pathway that contributed to my development of of cancer, was having terrible gut issues. But what happens is it's a a process called beta-glucuronidation, where the gut microbes, when you've got an overgrowth, will affect the breakdown of the estrogen and you reabsorb the estrogen metabolites and you become estrogen dominant. That can also drive estrogen dominant cancers. Yeah, mine was estrogen dominant. Surprise, surprise. And I think, you know, those of us that have been drinking for decades, it it takes months for everything to recalibrate, doesn't it? I mean, when you think how out of whack all of our hormones must be. And uh, with the weight, I mean, my personal experience was when I stopped drinking, I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to drop those few extra kilos that I've carried forever now. And and in fact, nothing happened for about six to eight months. And then one day I weighed myself and I'd lost like two, three kilos. And I thought, I wonder if that's almost my metabolism normalizing because these days I can eat what I want and I don't put on weight. Whereas in my drinking days, I didn't actually eat very much because I was worried about putting on weight. So there's definitely something there, isn't there? It just doesn't, it, it affects our bodies from working as efficiently as they should. So I read just somewhere in, I think it was on your Instagram feed, that some of us may have genetically low levels of dopamine and that might trigger us to drink more alcohol or coffee or sugar. I thought that was interesting. Tell us more. Yes, I do quite a lot of work around um, DNA tests and, and results um, and supporting people in their recovery so most of us will drink because we've got a neurotransmitter imbalance. So we're trying to be drinking to make ourselves feel better. So whether it's to feel more motivated or more full of energy, for more full of happier, uh, or whether we're drinking to calm ourselves down or to manage our stress levels. Any substance like coffee or, or sugar or alcohol or drugs is to change how we feel. With dopamine, a lot of people genetically do have lower levels of dopamine and they will really enjoy alcohol because alcohol will spike their dopamine levels. And so will, so will things like um, so will sugar and coffee going on, you know, getting likes on social media and all of that kind of thing. That all spikes our dopamine levels. A lot of people will drink because of that. But then there are other reasons why people drink as well. So it's not only because if they've got low levels of dopamine. It can be if they've got lower levels of GABA, which is our calming neurotransmitter. So there's or lower levels of serotonin because because alcohol also increases our serotonin levels as well. So it just depends on what's going on. And then once you stop drinking, so when you stop drinking, your dopamine levels are going to be battered anyway, even if you've got started off with high levels, yeah. like, I, like I, I've got high levels of dopamine, but they were battered from all the nicotine and alcohol and everything else. So it took a while to increase my dopamine levels, but then my approach had to be different in managing long-term sobriety. And that is when it's quite useful to know what your 
genetics are or what your tendencies are, whether you are more prone to high dopamine or low dopamine. If you're more prone to low dopamine, then you need to find activities to increase those dopamine levels. Whereas if you're more prone to low levels of GABA, so you used, used alcohol to calm yourself, like I did, then you need to find other things to calm yourself. Looking at more the longer term picture, because short term in the first year or so, you're just trying to regain that balance. So yeah, it is, it is really interesting. Uh, and tell me, Lindsay, how, how can we find out whether we've got, you've just said you've got uh, genetically high levels of, of dopamine. How do we find that out? So you can find that out, out through DNA testing. But then it's also a case of just observing your behavior and how you feel. I mean, I love DNA testing. I absolutely love it, but it's it's pricey. So not, not everyone's going to do it, but it does give a, it does give huge insight into depending on, on what kind of what you're looking for. I mean, I work a lot around nervous system health. So it gives a lot of insight into that people who suffer from anxiety or low mood or ADHD or who have got really strong response to to stresses as well. So a lot of adrenaline as well. So that it's really useful to know all of that. But you can also just by understanding yourself a little bit better by and we can only do that mm. when we stop with all these substances. We take we take sugar out of the equation. We take alcohol out of the equation. We take caffeine and then see how we how we feel. And then we can get more of an understanding of what our neurotransmitters are all about. But we have to take all the artificial stimulation out. So you mentioned sugar there and cross-addiction to sugar is definitely a thing. I interviewed Marianne Shearer, who you probably know of because you being South African, do you know her? She's a natural health specialist here in South Africa. She's written a book um, called The Natural Way. Anyway, during her interview, um, we talked about cravings and she recommended that people ate large quantities of fresh fruit, you know, literally three or four mangoes in the morning or something. And it, it was, I mean, she did explain the science behind a bit, which I've forgotten now. But what are your thoughts on that fresh fruit for sugar cravings? My approach is a bit different, especially those high sugar fruits. So what I always advise people to do is to stick to the to the lower sugar fruits like berries and apples and pears. And to always have, if you're having any form of fruit, anything that has got any any sweetness to it, any kind of carb actually, because that is uh, any kind of carbohydrate is always going to be try get get made into glucose in our in our system and cause a glucose spike. So to have it with a form of protein and healthy fats, so that your blood sugar remains quite stable, because it's the blood sugar fluctuations and fruit, very sugary fruit is also going to cause blood sugar fluctuations if you're not having it with something that's going to slow down the spike. It's when the, it's when our blood sugar levels crash down again that we get those cravings. Yeah, and those cravings do normalize, don't they, eventually? They do. It might take a few months, but you won't you won't get those cravings anymore. I mean, I used to, I was so used to opening my wine at six o'clock that I tried to build a new neural pathway by going for a walk at six o'clock, you know, every day, every day as, as regular as I used to open that bottle of wine. And eventually, you know, I, I was fine. I, I didn't even think about the six o'clock bottle anymore. I saw somewhere in your, your stuff about alcohol and cognitive function. So talk to us about that. Alcohol kills our brain cells. We know that. There's a big link between dementia and alcohol intake. There's more women than men now are getting Alzheimer's and other forms of 
dementia. So it's got it does have a lot to do with 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 lowered estrogen levels, but it also has a lot to do with the fact that in the last how many what forty years or so, women's intake of alcohol has increased dramatically, dramatically. That is having a big impact on the numbers of women who are getting Alzheimer's, so and other forms of dementia. So yeah, it is. It does affect our brain health. Again, it's got a lot to do with all the nutrient deficiencies that I talked about earlier. We tend to forget why we have to eat food, and that is to keep our bodies and brains functioning. If we are having something like alcohol, which is like an anti-nutrient and destroying those nutrients that we need for our bodies and brains to function effectively, we are going to experience the consequences. I mean, I often say to people that uh, ditching the booze is one of the best things you can do as you get older, you know, and personally in, in my seven years of sobriety, I've felt such a clarity of thought, you know, and much more creativity and energy. So, you know, really we can, we can move in a completely different direction as we get older than if we'd still been drinking, you know, a bottle or two of wine a night. We, we just have a different trajectory, don't we? Absolutely. It's so exciting. Because, you know, in the old days, they used to say, oh, your brain kind of shrinks as you get older. But, you know, as long as you're using it, I don't think that's true no, anymore. No, it's not true. It? We become wiser if we let ourselves. Let me ask you that question from uh, one of our community. I think it was Sarah. She uh, she said, what can I do about headaches? You know, I am a few months sober now and I'm still getting really bad headaches. Is there any nutritional support that I can use to try and chase these headaches away? I would look at supporting liver health because headaches can be a sign of not detoxing properly. So I'd have a think about gut health and liver health. So are you clearing all the toxins out efficiently? So with toxins, it's not only the toxins from the external toxins like alcohol or whatever or pesticides on our food but it's also like I mentioned earlier our estrogen getting broken down or if you're taking any medications or any any byproducts of any processes in our body are toxins that have to be cleared and when they're not being cleared properly it can lead to headaches so liver support and gut support so make make sure that your gut function is working well drink loads of water I would say you know aim for two liters a day Maybe try something like milk thistle to support your liver. That's a lovely herb. Uh, gut health, I always try and do it with food if possible. So, you know, make sure you're eating lots of fruit and veg. Emphasis on the, on the vegetables. Probiotic foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, that kind of thing. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Your practice is around functional medicine. Yeah. So can you explain to us what that is and what kind of programs you offer people? So with functional medicine, what we do is we look for the root cause of something. So what is causing the dysfunction? What is causing the imbalance? So getting very much to the root cause rather than treating the symptoms. So 
like the person who asked about the headaches, we would think about what is causing those headaches, not simply give a headache pill, but think about, okay, what systems aren't functioning as well as they should. Same as with, say, addiction to something, instead of thinking about treating, just, you know, stopping the addictive substance, uh, thinking about what lies underneath that addiction, what is driving it. So that would be looking at trauma, that would be looking at uh, systemic imbalances, gut imbalances, neurotransmitter health, all of that kind of thing. So so it's never just looking at the symptoms, it's always looking at, at what is driving it underneath and then and then and then working from there. So if people want to consult with you on a one-to-one basic, you do Zoom consultations and they just uh, connect with you and book book themselves in, do they? Is that how it works? Yeah, I only work on Zoom since COVID. Your Instagram feed, I mean, we were talking about this before. Uh, I pressed the record button, but it, it's great. You know, it's so informative. And I would really recommend that everybody follows you on there. It's called uh, Recovery Nutrition, isn't it? Yeah. Your yeah. website is recovery nutrition co uk. Yeah. We'll also put that in the show notes. So sober for seven years now. Well done, us. What have been the top benefits for you, Lindsay? Endless, endless. My whole life has changed. I changed career. I'm doing something that I absolutely love. I didn't even know that I would love this, but I do absolutely love my work. I allowed myself to start dating again after I gave myself three years and then uh, fell in love and got married. So that was all good. Love yoga. That's changed my life as well. And I think, well, I've just better relationships with people because I'm now not feeling so ashamed of myself, which I've carried around with me for so many years, that, that loathing, that, that, that shame that a lot of us do when we drink heavily. It's just changed the way I approach everything. I feel more open. Life is just different. Life is, life yeah. is really good. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your extensive knowledge with us, Lindsay. Let's pull out some key points. Lindsay was a teenage drinker and enjoyed the confidence it gave her. But over the years, her drinking got heavier and as she got older, she became dependent. By the age of 47, she found herself taking Are You an Alcoholic? quizzes and ticking all the boxes. Her excessive drinking began to frighten her And as a single mum, she feared that her young daughter might find her dead one day. Lindsay was aware that she should go for a medically assisted detox, but she was afraid to do this in case her daughter was taken away from her. So she tapered off her drinking to avoid the worst of the withdrawal symptoms. However, she wouldn't recommend the tapering system to anyone. We discussed how difficult tapering is and how similar it is to the moderation battle which many of us lost. In retrospect, she realises she should have gone to rehab for a detox. We both agreed that for anyone with a serious drinking problem, a week in rehab followed by a community to keep them on track is the best approach. I always say to people that for the first few months they need to make their sobriety a priority and to throw the book at it. And Lindsay certainly did that. As you heard, she listened to podcasts, read books, did yoga, ate well and spent quality time with her daughter. 
Lindsay agreed that we need projects to keep the dopamine triggered in early sobriety. For Lindsay, it was exercise, learning new things and voluntary work that kept her happy. She used this time to explore lots of different things. And during that exploration, she found some things that she absolutely loved. Early sobriety is indeed a journey of self-discovery. And here at Tribe Sober, we've set up a seven-step journey for our members to try out things like coaching, yoga, hypnotherapy, meditation, art therapy, either for free or at significantly discounted rates. Just go to tribesober.com, join our tribe, and you'll see all the benefits of membership there. So let's go back to Lindsay. Year one was tough for her. She was tired all the time. She was so nutritionally lacking and she had gut issues as well. So she had to build herself up again. And then year two was about dealing with the underlying trauma that she'd been drinking away for years. To do this, she went through a lot of intense therapy. But by year three, it was done and dusted and she felt great. I think this is so important to hear for those people that have been sober for a while but don't really feel they are thriving or enjoying life yet. The message here is to be patient. Just remember how long you've been drinking and remember the guideline we learned from Dr. Dawn in podcast number 61, which came out last September. From her extensive experience as a rehab doctor, Dawn had observed that it takes a month of recovery for every year that we've been drinking. As you do the maths and come up with a longer period than you were expecting, don't be discouraged. You will start to feel better almost immediately. And of course, for those people who are already a couple of years into their sobriety, this is great news as it means that the benefits will keep on coming. Lindsay is a qualified and experienced nutritionist, so she gave us some really useful advice about menopause. Drinking during menopause will disrupt our endocrine system and make us more estrogen dominant, which can lead to breast cancer. That's a fact I wish I'd learned before I got my breast cancer. In fact, alcohol disrupts all of our hormones. It throws out our thyroid, it affects our insulin levels, and it also prevents us from absorbing vital nutrients from our food. The resulting nutritional deficiency also affects our DNA replication and repair, which of course has implications for cancer. As Lindsay explained, taking a handful of supplements will do nothing if we're drinking. The alcohol will simply cancel out any benefits, a bit like taking meds and drinking. Of course, we talked about gut health. The fact that alcohol affects not only our gut lining, but also the microbiome, which in turn affects many other parts of the body. Another interesting fact that I learned from Lindsay was the fact that some of us have naturally low levels of dopamine, so we'll turn to alcohol to make us feel good. Other people, including Lindsay, will have low levels of GABA, the calming neurotransmitter, so we'll use alcohol to calm themselves down. So in early sobriety, we need to build up those neurotransmitters. If we tend to be dopamine deficient, we can do more exercise to raise our dopamine levels. 
And if we used alcohol to calm ourselves down, then we need to find calming activities like yoga, meditation, or even having a hot bath. We talked about the effect that alcohol has on cognitive function. Of course, we all know that alcohol kills our brain cells, but the scary fact is that just as women's drinking has increased significantly over the last 40 years, so have the numbers of dementia cases in the female population. When I asked Lindsay to list her benefits of sobriety, she quite simply said, it changes everything. I'm with her on that. Lindsay loves her work as a nutritionist. She's got married since she got sober. She loves her yoga and she has better relationships all around. She has the most amazing Instagram feed, which is absolutely packed with really good information. It'll help you so much in that first year of recovery. Her Instagram is called Recovery Nutrition and her website is called recovery-nutrition.co.uk. Now, this episode comes out on the 23rd of July, and Lindsay is our guest speaker at the Saturday Zoom Cafe. So if you're listening to this and you'd like to join us, then just email me at janet at tribesober.com and I'll send you the link. I'll also be recording Lindsay's talk, so if you can't attend the live talk, I'll send you the recording. If you listen to this podcast regularly, then you'll know that I've been developing an online course called Kickstart Your Sober Life. Well, it's almost good to go, but rather than just stick it on the website, we've come up with a fun idea to launch the course. We've created a pop-up Facebook group called the 5-Day Sober Sprint, and it's open right now. We'll be welcoming people in that group during July, and on the 1st to the 5th of August, we'll be running our sprint. I'll be doing a Facebook Live every morning with a task. We'll be asking people to complete the task and post the answers on the group. We'll have a Q&A board and then in the afternoon I'll do a 15 to 20 minute training on Facebook Live. So come and join us. It's absolutely free and should be a lot of fun. We'll be looking at topics like the importance of mindset and finding your why. So whether you're interested in the online course or not, just come and hang out with us during these five days. It's absolutely free. Just go to tribesober.com and you'll find the info at the top of the homepage. Just click on the link and you'll be in the Facebook group. It's a private group, by the way. So no, your friends won't be able to see that you're on it. This week's PDF is called 10 Steps to Kickstart Your Sober Life. And in fact, it's a summary of our Kickstart course content. So just email me at janet at tribesober.com if you'd like to see a summary of the content. Let me finish with a message from one of our chat rooms. Here's a message from Steve. Good morning, tribe. It's lovely to be back in the UK with my son. Our flight from Barcelona is only one and three quarter hours, but on Monday we were stuck in the crammed and freezing plane on the runway for over five hours with no food or refreshments. But I was calm as a cucumber. I decided I couldn't change the situation, so any amount of stressing wouldn't achieve anything. I also thought of the poor Ukrainians who get trapped in rubble or are in underground shelters for days, weeks or months. So in the big picture of life, it's no big deal. But also it's the calmness that being alcohol-free gives you so much less anxiety. 
And also, thank God I'm not drinking. Imagine being in that situation with a stinking hangover. What hell that would be. So yet another big positive of the alcohol-free life. Happy Wednesday. Oh, thank you, Steve. Well done on that mindset change. So that's it from me. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. I'll be back next week and I hope to catch you on our Sober Sprint group. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.